This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, America, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. So you own your own business. Got small ambitions for this business? Of course you don't. Got medium ambitions for this business? Of course you don't. Who has medium ambitions? You got big ambitions. If you're a growing business with big ambitions, you want to grow with Granger. Granger has the products, the services, and more importantly, the commitment you need. Total commitment. If you're a growing business, Granger's got your back. Call clickgranger.com or stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hello, hockey fans. My name is Paul Bruno. I'm coming to you today alongside Andrew Fiorentino. We are the Great Ones. Here we are on September 20th, recording our first ever episode aimed at bringing you the best news and advice to help you collect fantasy hockey titles this season. I'm excited to be here with you today, Andrew. Likewise, Paul. So, let's jump right in, open things up here in the early weeks with division previews. Today we're going to start with the Atlantic Division. Last year, Carey Price's magical season led the Habs to 50 wins and a division title, but Steven Stamkos and the emergent triplets line led the Lightning to the Stanley Cup Finals, where, of course, they were defeated by the Blackhawks. On the flip side of the coin, we've got the Leafs and the Sabres struggled mightily last year, finishing deep in the cellar. Let's start with the Leafs, since they're Paul's team. This guy literally wrote the book about them. Well, a book. Uh, Toronto Maple Leafs Diary of a Dynasty, 1957 to 1967. It's been a long road since then, hasn't it, Paul? First of all, thank you very much for that plug, Andrew. That was a best-selling book here north of the border. I don't know that we sold many copies around the Philadelphia area because the Leafs and Flyer fans just don't get along. But, uh, yeah, it's been a long road. There's been many, many different managing styles that preceded the current one that we want to talk about in a few minutes. They've often gone for the quick fix, focusing on big money free agents, and that's never really panned out for them or any other team. They're going to go a more traditional route, building through the draft and uh, making some smart acquisitions through the salary cap opportunities that will uh, come along in the next few years, I believe. So let's talk about this year's Leafs. We've got a new coach, Mike Babcock. Phil Kessel's gone. My question first is, are you happy with what you got back for Kessel? I mean, you got Kasperi Kapanen, Nick Spaling, Scott Harrington, and a 2016 third-round draft pick for a guy who might score 50 goals skating alongside Sidney Crosby this year. Well, uh, that that doesn't sound like a lot, but you've also got to remember that they've also saved $6.8 million in cap space, and they've rid of themselves of a contract that was totally inappropriate 
on a player of, with uh, Kessel's skills. This guy is not a, a centerpiece player, and I don't mean that he's not a gifted scorer. He's going he's gonna to score maybe around 50 goals, like you said, for the Penguins. He wasn't going to do that here. He's not a signature player. He is the cane to a Taves that's missing in Toronto, and that's the best analogy that I can give to our listeners. Yeah, Tyler Bozak, certainly no Jonathan Taves. But there is a youth movement getting started in Toronto, but they also they brought in a lot of veterans this offseason who don't really necessarily seem to have a lot of rhyme or reason to them. So I'm questioning the direction that new management has taken with this roster. But again, there are a lot of new faces, and are there any among them who give you hope that the Leafs are going to rebound? Well, I don't expect a rebound this year. They, they've taken on a lot of veteran players with very affordable contracts. What we've seen in the past couple of years is those players have come along here and they've basically auditioned for the rest of the league and the Leafs have parlayed them into future assets, second and third round draft picks, mostly the uh, currency that they're looking for. And uh, they have 10 draft picks in the next next year's amateur draft, for instance. And that's the direction that I think this team needs to go in. Bring in the placeholders while they develop that youth that's... Uh, in the, in the minors uh, and should be a competitive team in the Toronto Marlies. They've got some really flashy offensive types and a couple of uh, high-end defensive possibilities uh, that that are among the top prospects there. And that's what bodes well for the, the club's future. If they stick to that, to that plan and make smart acquisitions at the cap, and uh, there might be one that I'd like to throw out at the very end of this show as a teaser. I'll save that for the end of the show. Sounds good. <laughs> So, James Van Riemsdyk, pretty much this team's only star at this point. But, no Phil Kessel, of course, as we've said. Uh, last year, JVR down to 56 points. The year before that, 61. If I set the line at 52.5 for JVR this season, are you going to take the over or the under? And would you care to wager one American dollar on it, since I know you're going to take the over? You know what, Andrew? You're hitting me where where it hurts. I hate betting on this team or any of its players but this is a former second overall draft pick he can play the game at a high pace offensively and will be a fixture on the top line and power play here he will get to the 53 point mark easily you're on and let's make it an american dollar and a canadian loony that's about a dollar 75 for for you to me so start saving up those pennies my friend <laughs> you got yourself a deal <laughs> uh, my only question is who's gonna skate alongside jvr to help him get there well, but let's oh, I, no, 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 go on. I, I want to I want to chime in on that because I think it's last chance saloon for a guy like Nazem Kadri, and I think you're going to see some good things out of him. And uh, Joffrey Lupel, if he can possibly stay healthy on the other flank, will form a pretty impressive offensive line if they play to their capabilities. And that's really where I I, I gain my confidence here in in uh, Van Riemsdyk's ability to reach the mark that you set because that's a pretty a pretty good offensive uh, troika and. Uh, and I think they're going to get a lot of playing time and, and play with a better structure under Mike Babcock. Moving on to the blue line, the Leafs have an up-and-coming young talent, Morgan Riley. But are they going to see a bounce back from their other key defenders? We've got Dion Phaneuf. He's been fading uh, down the stretch as he's been uh, into his 30s. Do you like anyone on this blue line to outperform fantasy expectations? I do. And, and the name that I'm going to throw out at you is the team captain, uh, Dion Phaneuf. I think is going to have a big bounce back year. He was very much in the rumor mill until the Leafs landed Mike Babcock, who really went to bat for his new captain, saying that he wants to work with him. He thinks he can get more out of him. And 
maybe even by playing him a lot less than he did last year in, in certain situations. I think he's going to partner up with Riley on the back end of a pretty potent-looking power play duo. R Riley, to me, is, is a future star, and I think if, if Phaneuf can spend more time with him, it's going to impact him possibly, positively offensively, and I think he's excited about playing for Babcock, and that's going to translate positively. He's certainly talking the talk and looking more comfortable talking the talk in the, in the, the early preseason interviews that he's done. Uh, last year, he just looked like a guy who was about to face a firing squad, even early <laughs> on in the season. And this year, it's a, it's a whole different look from Finoff, and I expect it to translate on the ice in a big way. Right, so no skills decline in your book for Finoff. Let's, uh, let's go on to the goaltending. Uh, goalie, obviously a huge issue for this team the last few years. Neither Jonathan Bernier nor James Reimer has offered the sort of uh, consistent performance that fantasy owners or the Leafs have been looking for. Bernier has the better stats, I think we can clearly say, in pretty much every respect the last couple of years, with Reimer's GAA, his goals against, uh, over three, both of the last two years. Uh, but how do you see this timeshare breaking out? I know you're a Reimer guy. I am a Reimer guy, and it dates back to that awful memory that uh, all Leaf fans are trying to forget. I'll just dredge it up for a moment. That seven-game series against Boston, people skewer Reimer for the last few minutes of Game 7. But I'll remind them all that the guy who was the number one game star in Games 5 and 6 was one James Reimer, and he took the bullet for this team and, and has taken a backseat to Bernier, who was brought in as something of a savior. But I, and, I'll quest, and I'll take issue with your comment about uh, Bernier being the better of the two. I'm not convinced. I think this guy is a bit of a pretty boy where Reimer is a battler. And that doesn't play well in a dressing room. And I know for a fact from talking to some people around this club that some of the guys in the dressing room are closer to Reimer than they were. Bern they are Bernier, and I'd like to see them really split the goaltending down the middle this year, in a year where this team's going nowhere, to truly find out who of these two guys is the better guy in a 41-game sample, and then make your decision to go forward on that basis. I know uh, Bernier is the glory boy, but he ha he does have the better stats the last couple of years, uh, regardless of, of what Reimer did in the playoffs. Well, he did, but I mean, Bernier is to me, he's shown to me to be more of a, more concerned about his stats than winning ugly. In games where, where the Leafs have been uh, outshot over 40 shots a game, head-to-head, -head, the marks are much more favorable for Reimer, and this team's going to face a lot of games where they're going to face a lot more shots and, and that's another feather in Reimer's cap. This guy, to me, he gives it all he's got, and, and he really wears his heart on his sleeve when he plays the game. Bernier, though, is more a smoother-looking guy in the Nets, and, and that has some appeal to the uh, goalie coaches out there. So let's move on to another franchise, another team that struggled last year, and the Buffalo Sabres. This is a new-look Sabres. Uh, they brought in Dan Bilesma to be the head coach. They drafted a guy who I think is a surefire superstar in Jack Eichel. I think that by itself would be enough to change the culture of losing in Buffalo, but that's not all they've done, right, Paul? Absolutely. They brought in... Uh, they spent big money on uh, on O'Reilly uh, to put up a, a, a nice one-two punch at center. This guy is... Uh, Highly touted, this Ryan O'Reilly is a playmaker. He's a big body. You know how much I love that. And, and I think he's the guy that's going to actually wind up being the number one center here. And their top six forwards, they're not as bad as, as, a, as a Buffalo team last year by a long shot. I look for this team to make big, uh, big gains in the standings in terms of point totals this year. 
yeah, I also see the Sabres uh, improving some, but as we'll as we'll cover, maybe not that much. <laughs> uh, acknowledging that I like the changes the Sabres have made, here's here's my my real question: uh, Is Robin Leonard ready to carry the torch as a starting goaltender after he was pushed out of Ottawa by a guy in Andrew Hammond who basically came out of nowhere? Well, Robin Leonard's been long regarded as, as a top goalie prospect of the future. He's one of those big body types in net that a 6'5", 225-pounder who is uh, got some skill and is expected to be a workhorse here. I could see him playing 55 games, and then they have an interesting backup situation, a very experienced backup in Chad Johnson who's fared well in two previous stops. And I look for him to be a a key contributor in about 30 starts this year. I'd like to see that kind of a split just to get Leonard's feet wet. This is not a a team that's playoff ready, so I think it's a step-by-step process. Let's see if this guy can handle the 55-game workload, 55 to 60 in my expectation, and how he performs and how he reacts to that. His size, his durability should be positive indicators as they go forward and, and build this team even more down the stretch. But this is a learning year in terms of seeing what they have in him, and I expect some some pretty good indicators to come out of that exercise. I think I agree with you on that. Now, uh, I was reading your column from the press box, your Atlantic Division preview. You projected Evander Kane, uh, newly acquired from Winnipeg, didn't get to play for Buffalo at the end of last season because of injury. You're projecting him to bust out this year, 32 goals. That would be a new career high for him, and it would require him, of course, to go through a season without missing significant time to injury, which would be the first time that he will have done that since 2012, the lockout-shortened year. So what makes you so optimistic about Kane? After all, he had plenty of talented players around him on the top lines in Winnipeg, but it didn't really work out. No, it didn't really work out. I don't think he liked the Western Canadian uh, city that has... uh... 10 months of winter and two months of tough sledding on their calendar. So maybe, uh, I mean, Buffalo's no Sun City by by comparison, but <laughs> it's just a different look and a different feel for him and kind of a reboot. And, and the situation is this. He's going to be a frontline player on a team that has Ryan O'Reilly at center and a productive guy like a Ty- Tyler Ennis might fit in on the right wing to form a pretty good number one line, and they'll have a second line that will take some pressure off them in terms of expectations. But Kane is a guy who has a chance to be a signature player here, and I think if he grabs it with both hands, he easily tops the 30-goal mark. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think Kane is a, a huge talent, and it'll be interesting to see if he ends up playing with Eichel ultimately. You know, I've got Eichel, as we, as I mentioned, projected for a big rookie year, instant stardom. I've got him for 27 goals and 75 points, and, and I think it could be even more than that. Uh, I think the line mates are going to vary. I think Eichel's going to start out on the second line with Matt Molson and maybe Sam Reinhart, maybe Brian Gianta. But eventually, I think he's going to ascend to the first line, taking over for O'Reilly with either uh, Molson or Kane on the left wing and Ennis on the right. Yeah, I can see that unfolding too, but they don't want to put all the pressure on Eichel at first. Let this kid get his feet wet. He's certainly shown very well in the prospect games that they've played to date and and is a highlight reel capable uh, player. Uh, We've seen that in World Juniors. We've seen that in in the U.S. uh, junior program that he was in. This guy's dominated wherever he's been, and I expect that eventually when he gets his sea legs, he will be as good as advertised and be a guy that will approach a point of game. I'm just not sure that he's ready to do that in year number one. So my expectations are a little bit lower than yours, 
However, this guy is an A-plus talent, and if you've got a chance to stash him or draft him and stash him, uh, this guy will not hurt you. He'll be a fixture in your lineup for the next 10, 15 years. Yeah, I just picked up uh, Eichel in our Rotowire mock draft that we, we did, our experts mock draft quite recently. I got him, I think it was the sixth round. So it wasn't the, the highest price that I paid for him, the 62nd overall pick. Uh, not bad. No, I would say that's good value and a good spot for him. So uh, we'll see what the trajectory lines up to be. But uh, this guy is touted. He's just a notch below the top guy who went in the draft. And we all talked about Connor McDavid a lot in the offseason. This guy may just be just as good and may turn out to be even better. Some people are expecting that from him. That's, uh, that's certainly something we're going to be talking about over the course of the year. No secret among people I talk hockey with that I think Jack Eichel is going to be better than Connor McDavid. But <laughs> I'll take issue with that today, but we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> but let's, uh, let's go on to the, the top of the division and talk about your faves, the Montreal Canadiens. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> this is a team that returns almost entirely intact from last year. It's basically the same team. But we both think that they're going to fall back from the 50 wins that they picked up, uh, you know, the division title. Are we experiencing anti-Habs bias, or did they just play over their heads last year? You know what? When I do a show like this or any other appearance that I make, I put my allegiances aside. I hate this club, though. I have to say it out loud, <laughs> loud and proud. I'll tell it like it is, though. Carey Price had a career year. He was a centerpiece to a couple of fantasy teams that I had that, that took titles in two different divisions. And uh, I know ta good talent when I see it, I guess, and I was lucky that I held on to him for a couple of years, and he really paid off last year when he took four NHL, four different NHL trophies away from the annual awards show. I don't think we'll be able to expect that from him again. That was, to me, a career-type season that he'll look back on as the best that he ever had in the NHL. I don't think he can approach that anymore. Uh, again, particularly back-to-back -back with the current roster makeup here. I just think there's... There's a lack of scoring punch and some concerns on the blue line. I'm not bullish on one of the few off-season additions for Montreal, Alexander Semin. He just got bought out by the Carolina Hurricanes after putting up 19 points in 57 games last year. But that said, he's only three years removed from a point-per-game season, and at just 31 years old, you'd figure the career's not over. But we're both down on him, projecting him for, you know, in the neighborhood of 30 points. Uh, do you see any kind of best-case scenario where Semin can bust out with a big season and a Hab sweater? Hell no. And you know what? I'll put my Leafs fan hat on, and I'm glad to say that. But uh, in all seriousness, this guy has been known, become known in hockey circles as that most unwelcome, highly skilled player who is not motivated to excel, a term that nobody wants associated with them. He's a coach and chemistry killer. And I think he could be big trouble on this team if he continues to mail it in like he has in the last couple of years. Certainly, Carolina got tired of that act. They saw fit to write off the rest of his contract, a $7 million annual cap hit. They could not stomach it for the next few years. And, and they made a, a tough call to make a big check payable to him just to get him out of town. And that should tell anybody in spades what this guy's all about. And Montreal is a situation where, you know, he can be shielded somewhat and he can be placed into a great situation where all he'll be asked to do is score. But I just think that that was the same circumstance in Carolina and it didn't work out there. It hasn't worked, didn't work out in Washington. This is his third strike and he's about to swing and miss again. 
harsh words for Alexander Semen. <laughs> so we know P.K. Subban, Max Pacioretty, these guys are going to be top draft picks in fantasy. Andre Markov, Tomas Bukanitz, Alex Galchenyuk, Brendan Gallagher, these guys are going to go in drafts too. They're going to be rostered in almost every fantasy league. Looking deeper on this Canadian's roster, are there any guys you think aren't getting much respect in drafts who could have breakout campaigns? For me, uh, I really liked uh, 2011 first-rounder Nathan Bullio, uh defenseman. Still just 22 years old. I think he's got great puck-moving ability, has, has had some priceless experience in the playoffs over the last couple of years. I think his potential emergence is really going to be key to solidifying the back end there of the Habs blue line, giving them some secondary scoring. So who are you looking at as a sleeper, so to speak, on this team? Well, the top sleeper option to me is a guy that they acquired in a trade with Vancouver. That's Zach Cassian, another power forward type. Boy, you can see the type of player that I like all throughout this episode, can't you? Absolutely. And But he's a guy who fills a, a glaring need in Montreal where they don't have a player of this ilk. He's been underperforming in Vancouver. And this is another, I've used the term, new lease on life for this power winger. And he could be dropped into a pretty nice situation if he can land a top six role here. And uh, he'll be expected to provide some muscle, but he has some good hands. And that combination could lead to a surprising number of points if he's with the right teammates. If he winds up on the top line with Max Pacioretty and his caddy, David Deharnay, who's another guy who's underrated in fantasy, he's a frontline center who will get 40 assists just by feeding Pacioretty and Cassian. And he'll chip in with about 15 goals. So you're looking at 55 points in my expectation there for a guy that will not be ranked among the top centers in most fantasy draft lifts. He's pretty good depth at that position. Then on defense, they've paid big bucks for a Jeff Petrie, and we can talk about this a little bit to get your slant on it, but I think it's way too much money for a guy who's really never delivered the goods to the extent that his current salary defines. He's a guy that will take a backseat to P.K. Subban, obviously, in terms of the big offensive minutes, and maybe even Andre Markov, if Markov has one more good year in him. But this is a lot of money to pay for a guy who's right now no better than a second-pairing defenseman and I think the Habs might rue the day that they signed that contract. Yeah, six years and $33 million for Jeff Petrie is not not one of the contracts I was expecting to see over the offseason. Uh, if I was Mark Bergevin, I'd be regretting it already before the first pucks even dropped. Uh, it seems to me like the, the last thing the Habs needed was a high-priced defensive defenseman. Do you think that, that that is all that Petrie is? Is this just a bad deal? Is he going to find some kind of offensive upside? Or are they just like, this is our Dan Girardi? I think this is too much money for a guy who was nowhere near the top of the defensive rankings in terms of the offensive potential. I think it's a, a signing that they did in recognition of a decline in Markov's game. He did put up 50 points last year, but toward the latter part of the season, this guy was a revolving door on, on the defensive side of the puck. And I think this signing might have been a bit, a bit of a panic move by the Canadians. It's too much money. For Petrie, I wonder if anybody else would have paid this much money around the league for a player of his ilk as a second-pairing guy. I think it's just way too much dough that they needed to spend more wisely, and I think it's something that's going to haunt this club and maybe the subject of a buyout in the next year or two. I think you might be right. Let's stay in Canada. Move on to the final Atlantic Division team north of the border, the Ottawa Senators. This is a team that snuck in, well, if you can call it sneaking, to the back end of the playoffs last year, thanks to their huge and completely out-of-nowhere end-of-season running goal by the Hamburglar, Andrew Hammond. What a sensation this guy was. Coming out of nowhere, guy who had a, a safe percentage under 900 in the AHL, 
to go 21 and 2 and 23 starts down the stretch for Ottawa. But all good things must end, right? Yeah, I think there's no way that you can expect this guy to put up a Cy Young year like a 20 win, one loss season again. And don't shut the lights out on Craig Anderson and goal there, too. This guy's an acknowledged team leader in the Ottawa dressing room. And although he's battled injuries, this guy is a battler in the way, the same way that I mentioned James Reinhardt before. And the team will play their asses off for a guy like him. I already said he's a team leader there. They've improved the offensive core. The defense is maturing. I like a lot of things about this club. And I think that they have an interesting goalie split. But I still lean in favor of Anderson coming out of the gate to give him a chance to lead this team again from the goaltending position. But it's quite nice to look on the bench and see Andrew Hammond there, who has proved himself in at least his first year to be a guy that they can count on to deliver the goods. Uh, a pretty strong one-two in the Nets might give him an edge over most other teams in this division at that position. Yeah, so I know you are a big fan of the depth on offense in Ottawa, size and skill. Uh, why don't you talk about some of the guys you like there? Well, the guy that has made an interesting splash is Mike Hoffman. This guy put up a 30-goal season last year. Certainly, Stone is another guy that showed really good hands and improved as the season went on last year. Had a strong second half. I love the playmaking ability of Kyle Touris, who is a couple of years removed from being one of the best junior scorers in hockey history and he seems to be finding his niche here finally as a frontline center but a guy that they've been waiting on for a couple of years and who might be the key to solidifying the offense is Amika Zibanejad. This is a guy who's teased the club with his uh, vast offensive skills and this might be the year given the depth that he'll be able to play on uh, even a second strong scoring line where he closes the gap between himself and Kyle Touris in terms of scoring possibilities. I, I think both of those centers can threaten the 70-point mark and really will be the indicator that I think will underscore this team's offensive possibilities this season. Well, you're a, you're a much bigger fan of Zibanejad than I am. <laughs> uh, I thought he looked good last year. You know, he was a guy that I didn't really like as a prospect, didn't really like him as such a high draft pick. But, you know, he, to some degree, proved me wrong last year, put up 46 points, 20 goals. So he, looked, he looked good. But I still think that he's more of a, a two-way center than a guy who's going to put up that kind of 70-point fantasy total. And I think on, on a really good team, he's a third-line center. But he is very young, and he could become more than that. I mean, I certainly see the potential for that. Stone and Hoffman, for me, longtime favorites going back to their days in juniors. Stone with his consecutive 100-point seasons with the WHL's Brandon Wheat Kings, Hoffman, 98 goals over two seasons in the queue. Uh, really love those guys. I'm really glad to see them break out last year. Definitely owned them in some dynasty leagues. Feeling good about that. Now, I know, uh, as we've already touched on, you're a big fan of big bodies all over, but especially on the blue line. This Ottawa team has those in spades. But I look at the center's core of hulking defenders here, and I don't see a lot of scoring talent in that crew. Do you think that there's any Ottawa defenseman outside of Eric Carlson? who, of course, is the best defenseman in the league, who's going to be relevant in standard 12-team fantasy formats? Well, one of Cody Ceci or Patrick Weirkosh is going to get some playing time on the special teams and the power play with Carlson. And I think the winner of that competition is the guy who you should pick as the dark horse. And, and I'm leaning in the direction of Cody Ceci. This is a guy of the two who had the better offensive pedigree as a junior, He's been brought along a little more slowly than Weirkoch, and I think he has a better upward trajectory, and he's the guy that I would lean on of the two. Both of them have good size. CeCe's the bigger of the two, 
and the guy to me who looks like the better complement long term to a guy like an Eric Carlson on the offense and a guy that I'll be ticketing in the later end of a draft. I hope my opponents are not listening to this segment. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with you. You got uh, the hometown boy uh, there in Ottawa, CC, an Ottawa native, come up, played with the 67s, now with the Senators. Uh, I agree. I think he's going to see a power play role, but he's very young. He hasn't even turned 22 years old yet, so that's something to keep in mind. Indeed it is. If one of those two guys comes through, that's the answer. If not, it will remain a weakness on this team because I agree with you. Beyond the three of them anyway, there's not a lot there in terms of quality, and that might be the weakest link on this team that holds them back from even uh, a higher projection that I have for them. So Bobby Ryan, only 18 goals last season, by far his lowest of any full campaign, but you've got him bouncing back to 30-plus this year for the first time since 2011-2012 with Anaheim. I'm not so optimistic, so I want to hear your argument for a Bobby Ryan resurgence. Well, in my opinion, Andrew, Bobby Ryan is their best sniper. The guy with the best scoring instincts on this whole roster, apart from Carlson, certainly among the forwards, he's number one in my book. And he will be part of a better power play and the centerpiece of all the offensive upside that we've talked about here. So all of that combines for me to say that this guy has a bounce back offensively and becomes, uh, once again, that 30-goal guy People forget that he is a former second overall draft pick behind some guy named Crosby, I think. And he didn't get there by fluke. And he's scored before when he's played with quality number one line line mates. I think this is an opportunity for him to show that he's still capable of that level. Let's move on to a team that disappointed last year. Boston Bruins missed the playoffs. And now have in many ways remade their roster, especially along the wings. Milan Lucic is gone. Riley Smith is gone. Up-and-coming blue-line stud Dougie Hamilton gone, dealt to Calgary for draft picks because they couldn't afford to keep him. So let's start with the forwards, though. One guy I really like on this team, looked really, really good, especially for a period of time last year, is David Pasternak. Do you think that he's going to emerge as a legitimate top-liner, and are Mapoleski and Jimmy Hayes going to be able to solidify the second line while bringing the kind of physicality that Boston fans are used to seeing from Lucic? Well, let's talk about Lucic first. They are going to take a hit because in trading Milan Lucic, they maybe have traded away their signature offensive piece. Who, more than he, represented the big, bad Bruins of the recent years? They've certainly got some great playmaking centers who are the foundation of the offense in Krejci and Bergeron. And you've talked about some of the young guns who are expected to take up roles on their wings. I love David Pasternak, a former number one draft pick. He showed extremely well in his rookie season last season. He still heads into this year, only a 19-year-old. Much is expected of him on the offensive side of the puck. And I think he can certainly build on what he did last year, a guy that I think they'll lean heavily on. Spooner is another guy that we didn't mention, but I think he's a guy worth talking about too. In the next breath, Ryan Spooner did show not quite as well as Pasternak overall, but he did compile 18 points in 29 games for the Bruins last year. I expect him to take a bit of a jump in those numbers. They paid big bucks to get Matt Bolesky. I don't think that's going to turn out to be money well spent. And, I agree with you there. And uh, I, I think that they will rue the day that they signed that deal because this is a guy who parlayed one good season, not a great season, into a big dollar long-term deal. I don't understand that move for the Bruins at all, and they'll pay for that one. But to offset that maybe, the acquisition of Jimmy Hayes, this guy six foot six. He was a big piece that came over in one of their off-season trades, and he will be a big body, but not the roughhouser. He's got good hands for a big man, a former Leaf prospect that I'm so sorry that the Toronto club gave away 
He'll be a fan favorite in Boston, I predict, because he's a big body that those fans love as much as I do. And he'll be a fixture on the power play there. So there are quite a few players that make for a different look here. But I really think that they took a backward step in the trading of Milan Lucic. And I don't think any of these guys is going to make Bruin fans forget about him in the near future. Hayes, in some ways, reminds me of another former Leaf, Joe Colborn, as a big guy who has been expected to turn into a power forward but really hasn't taken that offensive leap yet. I do really like Spooner. I think he's a really nice playmaker. One of the names that's, that's really not getting a lot of attention that came over to Boston is Brett Connolly. Steve Eiserman's first first-round draft pick with Tampa was number five or six overall. Never really broke in with the Bulls, but still just 23 years old. I think he's got a world of offensive upside. Put up 120 points over his last two seasons in the AHL. And he did see you know, a little bit of an increase in minutes after he came over for five games with Boston at the end of last year. So do you think, A, is Connolly going to see top six minutes? Is he going to find his way in there? And B, if he does, is a breakout coming? Well, I think he's a talent. But I think he's in tough here in terms of the depth on the Bruins' wings. This is maybe the strength of their team going forward. They have a lot of options. We didn't mention the likes of veterans Louis Erickson and Brad Marchand, in addition to the names that I brought out before. So that's five or six guys that we've named who are going to battle for those four roles, uh, four roles on the wings in the top two lines beside Bergeron and Krejci. I think in my depth chart, I have Connolly listed as a third liner. And I don't expect him to make a move into the top six unless there's an injury somewhere. But that's pretty good insurance because I do share your opinion that this guy does have some offensive skills. So it may be something where he may not get drafted at the, on draft day in some drafts. But keep an eye on the situation in Boston. And that's a tip to poolies out there that should be paying attention to our show on a weekly basis. Situations will change. And if this guy does creep into the top six, he'll be a guy that should be earmarked for your roster as a guy who can see a spike in his playing time and offensive stats. Let's talk about the face of the Bruins. That's uh, Zdeno Chara. Earlier this month, Chara pronounced himself fully healthy from the ankle fracture he suffered late last year. Knee issues, well documented as well. Uh, he's got a permanently destroyed PCL, it seems like, that apparently is healed up well enough that he can play on it. Okay. Both of us have predicted a return to double-digit goals and mid-30 points for Chara this year. But every time I go back and look at it again, I feel less and less confidence that he's going to stay healthy enough to reach those numbers in his age 38 season. So if Char goes down to injury, or is again less effective this year, do the Bruins have the depth on the blue line to make up for it? In a word, no. The only guy of any consequence offensively on this blue line that I see is Tori Krug, a guy who has proved it the last couple of years, and, and I want to give you a chance to chime in on him. But to go back to Char for a moment... He's coming off a year where he missed 20 games. His point total dipped to almost a career low, certainly the worst that he had in Boston, and that includes a strike-shortened season. He only got 20 points last year. But he's going to get a lot of playing time. They're going to play his butt off to get what they can out of him. And he is up there in age 38, but a very healthy specimen when he's over injuries. This guy is a workout nut. So I'm assuming that he'll at least start the season healthy and be playing those big minutes on a power play that should be pretty dynamic. And he should get a lot of points there early on. Whether he can stay healthy and do it over the whole season is the big question mark here. If he can't, that's a hell of a load left uh, on the young shoulders of Tory Krug because I don't see anybody else on this blue line that makes the offensive grade or should be picked in any of the drafts coming up. I want to know what you think about that comment. Yeah, you mentioned Krug. And it's funny because he's more—he's my kind of guy, right? He's, he's five foot nine. 
but he's a tough five foot nine. He can play defense in the NHL. He can get back there. He's not a pure offensive defenseman. And I think, you know, yeah, you're, I think you're right. The Bruins have this never-ending parade of plug-and-play blue liners, but there's really not a lot of upside. Even you got, like, a Joe Morrow, a guy they picked up in a trade a couple years ago. He's a former first-round pick, but not really a, a high-upside offensive type of guy. I feel like if Krug were to get hurt somehow, the offense from the back end of the, of the Bruins' blue line might just dry up entirely. Yeah, um, and that's a big concern, and that's one of the reasons why, if I can tease my... Uh, comment about the expectation of the Bruins, their defense is going to be central to a bit of a collapse in the standings this year. They're not going to be a playoff team in my estimation because they have not got any of the requisite depth that you need to compete in this division, I don't think. Strong words. One thing they do have is a stud goalie. Tuka Rask wants to start 70 games again this year. I think they're going to let him. But he does have a pair of really intriguing backups in Jeremy Smith and Malcolm Subban. PK's brother. Smith put up a 933 save percentage in the AHL last year, but he's on a two-way contract. No guarantees there. Subban's still on his entry-level deal, so it looks like this is a battle that might play out in training camp, with Smith currently the nominal favorite, because I think, in my opinion, the Bruins want Subban to have more experience in the AHL as a starter. But how do you see this crucial backup situation playing out, and are you as excited as I am to see PK shooting on Malcolm one day soon? That might be fun to contemplate. Uh, in the, it brings me back. I'm a little older than you, and I can remember the Esposito brothers battling Phil versus goalie Tony, and they had some storied battles, the first of which was a 2-2 tile. Quick story here, and Phil wrote about this. He says he called Tony's home to tell his wife about the game. She says, how did it go? And he says, oh, it was a 2-2 tie. And he says, oh, that's good. Tony only let in goal, two goals. He says, yeah, I scored them. And she says, you bastard. So that was kind of fun uh, for me to remember as you were talking there. And it'll be stories like that that emerge when uh, the the bands get together. I, I do want to touch on Tuka Rask. This guy, I think, is going to take a bit of a hit this year. He's been a real uh, part of the conversation in terms of the top-tier goalies in the NHL. I think those numbers are going to tumble because of the quality of the defense in front of him, largely, that I've touched upon. And he will be forced to play 65 to 70 games again. And the hope is that he will stay strong and healthy throughout the season. But uh, at some point, they're going to have to look at Subban or Jeremy Smith. These guys split time in Providence last year. Both of them put up really, really good numbers. So it's just a matter of which one gets the nod in the the training camp. And at the moment, I lean slightly in the direction of Malcolm Subban. He got the cup of coffee tryout last year. And I think he has a slight edge over Smith. And we'll probably see him play about 15 to 20 games this season. I'm excited to see Subban. I've liked him since they drafted him. Let's, uh, let's move over to the Midwestern team that, for some reason, is in the Atlantic Division. It's a long drive from Detroit to the Atlantic Ocean, but let's talk about the Red Wings. So they parted ways with Mike Babcock in the offseason. have a new coach this year in Jeff Blaschel, led their AHL team in Grand Rapids for the last three seasons. I think it's great that even the coaches in the Detroit organization seem to operate along the lines of this slow and steady approach to prospect development, and, and I think it's promising for the raft of young guys on the wings who played under him in the minors. That said... They're still understandably planning to give minutes, big minutes, to the veterans. Henrik Zetterberg, Pavel Dotsik when he gets healthy, new import Brad Richards. Is this the year with a new coaching staff in place with these guys, again, another year older, that these aging vets start getting phased out to some degree? Well, I, I think we have to talk about that in terms of the transition that's taken place 
with the likes of the young guns that have been added most recently. Gustav Nyquist has done nothing but score goals at a very regular pace since he joined the club. Thomas Tatar and Yurko over the last season, a couple of other guys that have made the grade and are threatening for top six minutes in power play time. This year, you throw another name into the mix in that never-ending Euro pipeline, Timo Pulkinen. This guy went wild in the American Hockey League last year at Grand Rapids, where every Detroit prospect goes through to learn the pro game. He looked like a man against boys in the playoff games that I saw against the Toronto team, uh, the Toronto Marlies, and uh, was an outstanding performer every night out. And uh, I think that's a guy that you put a gold star around when you're looking at the prospects on the Detroit list. I hate to write this team off. I've done it before. And yet they're, here they are on the verge of an NHL record. If they make the playoffs this year, Andrew, that's 25 straight playoff appearances, unprecedented in NHL history. But I still wonder, could this be the year where Datsuk and Zetterberg slow down and pass the baton to the younger legs? I want to know what you think about that. I don't want to be the guy that says that they will, but <laughs> there's a little voice in the back of my head saying, do it, do it, do it. I just can't because they burned me before. It's hard to bet against the wings, you know. Datsuk got the injury coming into the season, and I think that's a concern. But it's going to give them some time to give the younger guys a little bit more of a look, especially up the middle. I really like all those young guys you mentioned, Nyquist, Tatar, Yurko, Polkinen. I think that this is just an outstanding group of talents. They've all got two-way ability. Yurko, in particular, I think is really underrated, spectacular puck handling skills. I really like this team. But one of the things that I'm wondering about, and one of the things that I think a lot of fantasy owners are wondering about, is how the goalie time is going to break out here. So they've got Jimmy Howard, veteran, long-term contract. He's been the guy for this team for a long time, until the end of last year, when Peter Mrazek, young Czech goalie, outplayed and in fact displaced him in the playoffs. And I think the general feeling in fantasy circles, looking through draft rankings, looking at the mock draft that I just did the other day, where in fact I drafted Mrazek, is that he's going to be the more valuable goalie. He's going to see, Mrazek is going to see more playing time. But this is a team that is paying Jimmy Howard starter money for the next four years, and they're probably not going to buy them out. So can they really put him in backup duty, or are they obliged to give him the benefit of the doubt at least to start the year? This team will go with the best player at each position. And to me... Today, that's Peter Mrazek. Howard has proven himself to be a very capable goalie if you look at his entire body of work in Detroit. But over the last couple of years, he's faltered a little bit. Injuries have become a bit of an issue. And Mrazek has long been highly touted in the minor league setup there. He is now a 23-year-old guy, and he's ready to take the reins, take a larger role there. So at a minimum, I see a goalie split here that's almost 50-50. But if I have to give a slight edge, I'm going to give it to Mrazek just because they did lean in his direction in the playoffs. And he showed so well in the latter part of last season when they were transitioning. And they were probably very satisfied with the look that he gave them in that sample of games. And I think with a new season, new start, and a new coach who knows him very well, Blasio was the head coach in Grand Rapids. He's going to give Mrazek the lead role coming out of the gate. And it's up to him to hold on to it. And I think he does. And he could even reach a 50-game mark if things go well. This is a team, I think, that's going to make it to 25 years in a row. And it's the young guns that are going to pave the way, which is a bit of a departure from what we've seen in this team in the past. Do you think with that in mind, uh, we're looking at a situation where Howard eventually, maybe at some point, maybe even relatively early on this season, gets traded? Well, I think you've touched on an issue that's going to haunt them this year, maybe till the offseason. That is, it's hard to move a big contract unless you kind of include a top prospect or a top pick. It's going to be an indicator of how anxious Detroit is 
to get that contract off the books. Whether they pull the deal off during the season, it's going to cost them more than it might in the off season to a team that is uh, is looking for help in the Nets. It's not like it's time to write Howard off. He's not 36, 37 years old. I think he still has four or five good years left in him. And he might find a situation like Roberto Longo in Florida, where in his latter years, he can still be a goalie that's counted on in a different situation. I don't think it's going to be Detroit, though. This is going to be something interesting that we're, we're going to be looking at as the season goes on, is where Howard looks like he might be a fit if Mrazek does indeed turn out to be the guy. Yeah. But let's talk about the Wings' blue line. You know, you've got Nicholas Cronwall has been a reliable fantasy asset for years on that blue line. I don't think that's going to change this year, even though he's not getting any younger, certainly. Uh, the Wings also brought in Mike Green to boost their production from the back end this offseason. And I think that that's something that might hurt the fantasy prospects of two young, high-upside defenders that I really have liked for a long time, and Danny DeKaiser and Brendan Smith. So how do you see that shaking out, and which of those two guys do you like more? I like Danny DeKaiser a little bit more. He is touted as a future star in Detroit, in my estimation. He's got the offensive upside. He was a big star in U.S. college hockey, and one of the contenders for the Hobie Baker Award there. But he will get a look with veteran partners on the power play. He'll be in a three-player mix, I think, with the two veterans that you mentioned, Cronwell and Green. Green, to me, gets a new lease on life here in, in Detroit. This is a guy who has an abundance of offensive skills and knows how to run a power play. He's going to take some pressure off Cronwell, who was kind of forced into that role with the departure, uh, the retirement of Nick Lidstrom. I think Cronwell's more noted as maybe one of the toughest and most mobile two-way defensemen in hockey, and certainly a great value pick in, in fantasy. But in terms of offensive upside, to my mind, DeKaiser is second to green in this roster and should be looked at as a key contributor on the special teams, more than Smith, in my opinion, anyway. I don't know how you feel about the two, but that's my two cents. Yeah, I've been a big fan of DeKaiser, but I was uh, I was definitely disappointed with his offensive output last year, and he only scored two goals, uh, which was definitely disappointing when you're counting on him to sort of be helping you out on the blue line in a fantasy league that counts defensive points specifically. Smith is a guy that I really like as a guy who really hasn't had a lot of hype, but was a first-round draft pick way back in 2007. Still not an old man. He's only 26 right now and has had some really nice production in the AHL, has a couple of double-digit goal seasons there, and was a real player at the University of Wisconsin. I love those Wisconsin guys. Of course, as a Rangers fan, we've got plenty of them. And, of course, uh, Rotowire Basta right there in Madison, Wisconsin. A lot of UW guys. Nice plug. <laughs> right? Let's move on, catch a flight to Miami, talk about the Florida Panthers, maybe have a mojito. I'm down. I think we can both agree this is one of the most intriguing teams of the league, and a huge wild card, I think, as we enter this season. You know, they've got maybe the most compelling pile of high upside, massive upside young players who seem to be ready for the next step. But one of these things is not like the others. One of these things just doesn't belong, and that's Yarmir Yager. He's going to turn 44 this season, but he's this team's top-line right wing right now. thought we were watching the death of Yager in Jersey last year. They traded him to Florida. What's he do? He scores 18 points in 20 games. Looks like a new man all over again. Are we going to see one final 60-point hurrah from Yager this season? You know what? You just might. This guy is an anomaly, a physical freak of nature in the hockey world. When he broke in, he was a guy who didn't do the workout thing very religiously, but as he got older... He became a fitness guru, and that has been central to his longevity in the game. 
He's one of the toughest guys to get the puck from. When he's got possession of it, he uses that big body to shield it most effectively, and he can make you look silly still by dangling with that wonderful reach. And I love the fit that he has with Barkov and Huberdeau on that dynamic line that really sparkled in the, down the stretch for the Panthers last year. And that's just one of the offensive units. A second one will be built around the guy that I really like there as that Nick Bugstad. And he's a stud in the making. I'm going to hint to my, my glory years of watching hockey and refer to Daryl Sittler as my hockey hero. And this guy, of any player that I've seen in the last 10 years, reminds me of the Leafs' former captain. He's a big guy who can play the game any way you like. He'll run, or, run over you or skate around you. He's an excellent playmaker and a wonderful finisher. You already mentioned Huberdeau. You already mentioned Barkov. But to me, Bugstad is a guy that I look to be the key pivot on the second scoring line here and take pressure off Yager and, and his mates on that other line. So they have the makings of a solid offense with two good scoring units. And I think that it's going to be a fun year down in sunny Florida for them. Definitely with you on that. I hope that they can draw some people to the game. So those, uh, <laughs> those southern teams don't draw very well. No, you know what? I'll tell a quick story. I went to a game last year, and one of the ushers says, what time do you want us to start, sir? <laughs> <laughs> that tells you there weren't too many people there. I went there on game day, moments before the puck drop, got a seat in the ninth row, and cost was a fraction of what I pay up here in Toronto. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, as a Rangers fan, ticket prices are just insane. So these Panthers, you touched on several of these guys, um, Jonathan Huberdeau, Barkov, Bugstad, are going to be drafted very heavily. One name I'd like to add to the mix is Aaron Ekblad, of course, last year's number one pick, had a, a great season, really completely exceeding every expectation you could possibly have from a defenseman his age in a rookie season. But now it's this year, so look at those four names, Huberdeau, Barkov, Bugstad, Ekblad, you're up to draft. Who's your must-own? Who's the guy that you pick out of this four? I pick Aaron Ekblad because he, to me, is a franchise-type defenseman. I picked him last year in fantasy. He rewarded me handsomely. And I think he's ready to take the step right to the front of the line in terms of the best all-around and particularly offensive-minded defenseman that's out there. He's got the good size. He's got a great shot and a real high hockey IQ. He's going to be the quarterback on this power play for the next 10 years. And we already talked about all the young, skilled guys that he's going to grow up with. This is going to be a dynamic team, and he's going to be their quarterback. And I always like the quarterback. A good scoring defenseman, hard to find, harder to find than any other position in my mind. And I love the, the guy's makeup. He's a team leader, and he's going to be a, a Hall of Famer in my estimation. I think you're right. If he stays healthy, he's going to have an all-time career. That said, I, I do think that... I'm personally moderating my expectations for Ekblad. I'm putting him in the range of, you know, 40 to 45 points, maybe double-digit goals again. But I'm always afraid of those sophomore slumps, even though I do think that this guy is going to be one of the great ones. But let's move on a little here as we start winding down. Talk about Panthers' blue line. This is a team that has, your preference, a lot of size on the blue line. But Brian Campbell tanked offensively last year, and Ekblad was really the only defender that was worth owning on this team. The Panthers have been hoping for a long time that Dmitry Kulikov would ultimately develop into an offensive force. And at 24, he still could. Do you see Kulikov moving into the realm of fantasy relevance this year? Or do other Florida defensemen intrigue you for fantasy purposes? Well, he's certainly one name that they have to be hoping for. The other one is Eric Goodbranson. But these guys have been around for three, four years, respectively, in Florida's situation. And they played last year with all these young guys that we talked about. 
They didn't show much. They were well down the scoring list in terms of the league's top scoring defenders. And I don't see either one of them spiking upward this year. And that's really what's going to hold this team back from threatening the upper echelon of this division. There is some nice trajectory at the forward position and in goal with the solidification that is brought about by Roberto Longo's presence. He must be a very happy guy in his wife's hometown and home state, and he's loving life down there. But I think that they have to look at an upgrade on the blue line before they can be considered among the heavyweights in this division. And I don't see an answer down there at the moment on the blue line. Let's do the Tampa Lightning. We saved the best for last, Andrew. This is a team that went to the Stanley Cup playoffs and dominated a few teams along the way, leaning on their goaltender. Let's start at the Nets. Bishop, to me, made great strides toward the top ranks of NHL goalies last year. Do you see him able to pull that off again? I think so. Bishop has led, I think, the sort of campaign of big netminders into the, the NHL. He is enormous. He fills up so much of the net, but he's also very creative, very able to adjust on the fly and make those acrobatic stops. A big reason that the Lightning got as far as they did. Although I have to say that I really like the goaltending depth on this team. You know, They have just a model organization all around, I think, where you just have not only skilled goaltenders, but skilled forwards almost just coming out of their pores. I took this in a different direction than we did the other teams for a reason. I'll get to that in a moment. But let's look at the blue line now. Victor Hedman is also a guy that made steps to reach the top echelon in defenseman scoring. He's a huge guy, very mobile, former high first-round draft pick who's really come into his own and is vying with Steven Stamkos to be recognized as the real leader of this team. For my money, he's one of the top five defensemen in all of hockey, and he's got a great partner in Anton Strahlman. Sometimes, I like to point out, Andrew, it's important to know who's playing with these stud guys. And I made my bones in hockey pools by looking at what I call the sidekick theory. And Anton Strahlman is a guy who fits that mold exactly in terms of who is playing with the stud guy and who's capable scorer. What did this guy do last year? He had one of the best offensive seasons of his career, and I got him very late in the draft. And I think people in pools should recognize those situations to say, who are the guys that are playing with these high-end players? And to me, that's a great top pairing. And I'll throw out another name to throw to you, Jason Garrison. This guy, big shooter, underperformed last year. Can we expect more from him? And what do you think about what I said about Strawman? Right with you there on Strawman. And it's a sad thing for me because, obviously, again, a Rangers fan, watched Strawman really do well for the Rangers two years ago. You know, he was excellent in the playoffs, and that was what really got him this big contract in Tampa. And frankly, I was panning that contract, five years, $22.5 million, for a guy who, honestly, before the Rangers picked him up, was ready to wash out of the league. And he proved me wrong. He had a great season down there, and I have to say, I did not see it coming. But I do think that there's a lot to what you say about the, the sidekick theory. Touching on Ottawa for a moment again, uh, Mark Matheau is a great sidekick for Eric Carlson, and I think a big part of what allows Carlson to do what he does as far as going down into the offensive zone and making plays. I think there's definitely a lot to that. So that's something that I highlight in the weekly column that you referred to earlier that I write for Rotowire from the press box. Sidekick theory, something that Cooley should focus on. Let's move up front where there's a real intriguing situation here in terms of which is the number one line, Andrew. Can you break that down for us in Tampa? Which is the number one scoring line on this team? This team has two number one lines. 
And if, they, if all goes well, they might end up with three of them this year. The Andre Palat, Tyler Johnson, Nikita Kucherov, the triplets line was just spectacular last year. And, you know, I've seen here and there, you see some people panning them saying, oh, they'll never be this good again. I think they might. These are all young guys. Uh, Kucherov, in particular, is just starting to scratch the surface of his potential. Talking about a guy who, 22 years old, put up 29 goals, 65 points, and a plus 38 rating. I mean, granted, it was on a team that had a, a huge goal differential, plus minus not always the best indicator. But still, at that age, to put up that kind of production, extremely promising, really love Kucherov. And, and of course, Tyler Johnson, a guy who I loved going back to his prospect days, who's just, you know, two years ago had a nice season, a, a breakout, 50 points, but then last year... I think established himself as, as really one of the top up-and-coming centers in the league. There are not a lot of centers that I would rather own than Tyler Johnson. The, the weak spot for me is, is the top-line center ahead of him, centering Steven Stamkos and Alex Kalorn toward the end of last season at least, is Valtteri Filpilo. This guy worries me. I liked him in Detroit. He was really good. Came over to Tampa, had a, a good first season, but then last year, I mean, he was bad. He finished with a minus 14 rating on this team that, that scored just a, a ton of goals and didn't give up that many. Tough to do for sure. He only scored 12 goals while averaging more than 19 minutes of ice time. So a really big dip for Philpilla, you know, always a guy who never took a lot of shots on goal. Last year, even worse, only 91 shots in 82 games. So he's a guy who I'm looking for the Lightning to displace into as, as he's now in his early 30s. Maybe shove him down into a third-line role where he might play better at this point. I think you've hit on something there, and you've also teased my remark that I came up with earlier in the season, something I want to leave our listeners with toward the tail end of the show. I'll get to that in a moment. But one name that we didn't talk about was Jonathan Drouin, and I think he's a guy who's ticketed for top six minutes, and I think they should consider moving Stamkos to the middle of the ice where he's played most of his career. I didn't like the transition of him to the wing last season. It might have been related to an injury that he must have been dealing with in his wrist, if I recall, that shifted him from the pivot slot where he's been most known for in his career. And I think moving Drouin up to the wing on that line will solidify things. But here's my thought that I've been teasing for an hour, Andrew. Steven Sankos is in the last year of a contract with Tampa. This is a Toronto boy. The Leaf management. Uh, Here it comes, my friend. And we heard it first here. Remember that. All you listeners, Steven Stamkos will wear a blue and white jersey next year. I'm telling you all, it's going to be the Maple Leafs blue and white. How wow. about that, Andrew? I mean, I think that that makes a lot of sense. Certainly an Ontario boy. You know, you look at Stamkos. Can a guy score 43 goals and have a disappointing season? Somehow he did, right? <laughs> you drafted Stamkos, right, top three last year, right there with, with Crosby, with a Vetchkin but you get 72 points from the guy you draft in the first half of the first round. You're kind of disappointed by it, even if 43 of those are goals. I do think that Stamkos does have, I mean, obviously, another gear that he can get back to. I think he still can be that 90-point guy that he was early in his career. And, and I think that the Leafs are going to have to pay for that. They but then will. again, I think anyone will. They will. And, and we haven't talked about salary cap situations, but this is a situation that bears a moment more of talking. And that's the Leafs. As I said, they've got a lot of placeholders. They've got a lot of money still that they can spend under the cap. They've got a $5 million write-off on a bad contract to Nathan Horton that they can hide on the long-term injury report. So they've got ample money to bring this kid back home. And the fact that he hasn't signed with the Tampa Lightning 
and has stated very clearly that he will not negotiate during the season tells me that if they don't get it done in about the next two weeks, this guy's headed to free agency and the Leafs all-star management team has been talking about this behind closed doors, not tampering, but certainly considering the way to get this team back to respectability. They need a signature player. Stamkos will only be 26 years old next year. His best years ahead of him. And I think that's something that's going to be food for thought during the course of the season if we don't see a signing in the next two weeks. Now, to close out this show, I know you want to do the standings. And so why don't you, why don't you lead us into that segment? Yeah, let's end up here by putting our final predictions on the record, permanent record. Anyone can go back and listen and say, I can't believe that you picked that. You're so stupid. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm calling this a close race. I've got Tampa finishing first. I think there's not a a big surprise there. Got them for 107 points, which is a small, a modest drop from last year, but not much. And then I actually, I disagree with you on the Bruins. I think that Tika Rask is a stud goalie. I think that he can get back to, to you know that neighborhood of 930 save percentage. Even though Boston's blue line isn't very good, I think that they're good defensively, not offensively. And I think that that's going to be good for them if they can get that scoring up front with their you know, sort of a talent upgraded, but maybe not toughness upgraded forward core. At the bottom, got the up-and-coming Sabres. I really like them. I think they're going to do great things. I think they're going to be really fun to watch. I still think they're going to finish 7th in the division. And then... I'm sorry, sorry, not sorry, the Leafs, the second worst record in hockey at the bottom of the division. Ouch. I'm going to have... Second worst, second worst, not the worst record. (laughs) Okay, well, you can leave that for an upcoming preview to tell us who the worst team is. I'll be curious to know that one. But I have Tampa as the runaway winner in this division, and a distant second will be... This Ottawa Senators club, I love the offensive makeup here. Their their two-headed goalie situation is going to turn out to be a positive. And I think they have a defense that, albeit is their weakest link, does have some potential for upside there. We'll see who partners with Carlson. At the bottom of the division, I agree with you, and it hurts me to say so. The Leafs will be at the bottom, and Buffalo will be immediately above them. There's going to be an interesting battle for third and fourth. The playoff spots here between Montreal and Detroit, I think, Detroit edges out the Habs, while Florida finishes ahead of Boston. I think Boston's a big dropper in my eight-pack here. And again, we'll have to compare notes at the end of the season, maybe throughout the season. But Andrew, this has been a great debut. That'll do it for our first edition for Rotowire's The Great Ones podcast. And we're looking forward to being here with all of you to get your fantasy information from us during the course of this NHL season. I'm Paul Bruno. For Andrew Fiorentino, we are The Great Ones, and we will look forward to seeing you next week. Thanks for listening. This is the story of Harry's. For decades, one big razor company has relentlessly increased prices and reaped immense profits at the expense of its customers. Then one day, an ordinary guy got ripped off buying razors. He was so fed up that he and his best friend started a company to fix shaving. They called it Harry's. By taking less profit and selling online, Harry's can offer quality blades for less. You can even get Harry's 5-Blade Razor and Shave Gel for free when you sign up. Just cover shipping. Click or go to harrys.com and enter code RAZOR at checkout. That's RAZOR, R-A-Z-O-R.